of Factionist Musicians Podcast. Take action to find healthy perfectionism. Discussions about the background of successful careers in music performance, arts and science. Are you one of those musicians who suffer from performance anxiety? Well, you are not alone. Thousands of musicians have been through this experience. But in today's podcast with my guest, Dr. David Junkers, we are going to talk about how your performance anxiety can be looked at from two very different perspectives. Before we start, let me introduce my guest. Dr. David Junkers is a clinical psychologist and performance coach in Philadelphia in the United States. He specializes in treating and researching musicians' performance anxiety and enhancing performance by using acceptance and commitment therapy, pronounced shortless act. His research has been presented internationally, and Dave is also on faculty with The Voice Workshop, a UK-based provider in postgraduate work pedagogy study. There, he provides lectures and tutorials on performance anxiety and trains music teachers in an adaptive version of ACT to help managing students' performance anxiety. His co-authored book, ACT for Musicians, is scheduled to be published in June 2021 through Compton Publishing in the United Kingdom. Dave and me met in 2019 at a performance science conference in Melbourne, Australia, and his presentation immediately caught my attention, so I thought to invite him to talk about acceptance and commitment therapy in my podcast. Shall we get right into the middle by introducing the listener's act? Can you explain us what it is, why is it important, and why it may be better than other techniques in reducing the disturbing effects of music performance anxiety? Sure. So... You have multiple components to act. The one main component is it's a values-based therapy. So you spend a lot of time identifying what are the person's performance values, what are their practice values, what are their life values in general. And by values, of course, we mean like the things that are very important to them, the things that they couldn't live without, essentially. Uh, and once you have them identify them, you, you elicit a commitment on part of the musician to, to you know, bring themselves uh, to contact those valued things more often in their performances more often in life. And it's, it's such a joyful process to watch someone involved in. They, they identify these things that are very important to them as a musician, for example, like uh, connecting with the audience could be one such value or expressing themselves emotionally could be another one. And you can concretize these values into actual behaviors, like actionable behaviors. And you, uh, as the therapist or as a coach, really it's the same role sometimes, uh, you just, you kind of motivate them to do this more, do this more. And it brings them so much joy and so much well-being to stay in contact with these things that give them pleasure, to stay in contact with these things that give them energy. So you as an act therapist can facilitate that growth there. So that's incredibly rewarding, actually. Unlike CBT and cognitive behavioral therapy, unlike medications, ACT's goal is not to reduce performance anxiety or to reduce symptoms of performance anxiety. And when I usually say that, people kind of look uncomfortable, especially if they're a musician with performance anxiety, they don't always want to hear that. Instead, ACT's goal is to enhance flexibility in the presence of performance anxiety. So the overarching goal then is behavioral or psychological flexibility in the presence of that distress. And um, there are two main kind of phases in an ACT therapy. The first phase is, I call this learning to be with anxiety. 
So you, you enhance a, a number of skills that teach you to be or to coexist with anxiety without struggling against it. And these skills include mindfulness, and that is taught through mindfulness meditations, either in session or out of session for homework. Uh, increased acceptance or willingness to be with it. Uh, so that way you lessen the struggle, you lessen your suffering with the performance anxiety. And there's teachable techniques to learn how to do that as well. The third one is an interesting one. It's called cognitive diffusion. And I'll spend a little bit more time later in our conversation talking about this because um, I actually prepared an exercise for you and I to do that really illustrates diffusion well. So for now, I'll just give you a glimpse of what it, it basically means. It means kind of disentangling yourself from your thoughts and from your internal experiences so that way you're not so reactive to them. Well, how just is learning... it different to mindfulness than being present? Sure, that, that's a very good question. Mindfulness sets the stage for fusion. They, they, they work hand in hand, essentially. Uh, uh, sorry, diffusion, not fusion. Diffusion essentially uh, targets verbal thinking. And it's, uh, it's a linguistic uh, intervention. You can apply it towards other internal experiences like memories or things that are nonverbal, but it was specifically designed to target our way of deliteralizing language, our way of responding different to language. So if uh, language we've internalized in the form of our verbal thinking, so we're always kind of having a private conversation with ourselves all the time, diffusion means kind of distancing yourself from your private verbal thoughts, essentially. So it involves mindfulness because with mindfulness, that is possible. Without mindfulness, you can't really diffuse. But it's kind of like it's the next step in mindfulness, essentially. So and then lastly, um, another skill in learning to be with anxiety is this ability to cultivate an observing sense of self. So sometimes when going through a hard time, a hard performance or changes in life, it's helpful not to get too identified with your thoughts or too identified with even a version of yourself and just learn kind of how to be flexible and um, just observe what's happening internally without identifying with it. So we call that the observer self. So when you do all four of those things, you can essentially be with your anxiety. And then the second phase is the fun phase of my part. This is where you do more as a musician. Uh, you, like we talked about, you identify what your performance or practice values are, and you make that commitment to do more of that uh, in an actionable way in your performances. So that way we're not just giving lip service to these things, you're actually committing to doing things during your performances that help you connect with the audience, if that's what you value, that help you express yourself more, that help you execute proper technique. It depends on what you value, obviously. And if you can learn to do that in the presence of anxious distress, or while tired, or while unmotivated, then you're flexible, right? You can perform uh, under a variety of kind of internal conditions and then your behavior becomes much more flexible and it becomes value driven as opposed to emotion driven. And that's really where ACT is very helpful. You know, it's kind of installing new behavior into your repertoire so that way you can behave in new ways, in ways of your choosing really under a variety of internal conditions that maybe ordinarily would prevent you from behaving that way. When I was reading about ACT, and I just understood that it's even the title says acceptance. And before yes. I would know anything about this, when I was teaching and myself improving as a violinist and practicing, all the great things happened to me and to my students when I accepted that this is how little I know, how bad or good I am, and just not wanting anything else but just accepting where I am, how I am in, in, in that present moment. Absolutely. In my opinion, the acceptance part of ACT is really the most important part of ACT. 
if you are putting energy into struggling against performance anxiety or more specifically struggling against sensations, struggling against thoughts, then that is essentially a waste of your energy. I, I don't want to sound judgmental like that, uh, but it, it kind of is a waste of energy. You know, uh, it, it, it derails you from be, being able to pay attention better with what you're doing in the moment. So there's research support actually showing that uh, the less struggle you engage with, uh, then the less problems you're going to have, essentially. And this boils down to acceptance. It boils down to willingness. For example, uh, the difference, I, I talk about this with clients all the time, the difference between panic disorder and panic attacks is when someone has panic disorder, they're unwilling to have a panic attack. And they struggle against sensations that remind them of a panic attack. So they might not exercise because it elevates the heart rate, or they might not do other things because they're afraid it might lead them to have a panic attack. But panic attacks are sometimes normal, right? You know, for under too much stress, sometimes, unfortunately, you might have a panic attack. So if you're unwilling to do that, then you give yourself panic disorder, essentially. Okay, let's put into the musician's context. So one is sure. performance anxiety and fearing, sensing anxiety. Yeah, it becomes anxiety of performance anxiety. That's really when it crosses over into the disordered realm. So is it the fearing to experience the symptoms of anxiety, even cog either cognitive or physiological, and also the other one is just exactly the experience of the anxiety? Absolutely. Yes. You hit the nail on the head. If someone, if a musician in particular is unwilling to have those performance anxiety symptoms, cognitive, physical, what have you, then they will remain afraid of them and they'll struggle against them. They'll be motivated to control them or escape from them or change them in some way. And that right there is the disorder. Mm -hmm. I teach my clients all the time that the anxiety in and of itself is not the problem. It's the struggle against the anxiety. It's the control of the anxiety. That is the problem there. So all these things get discussed during the first half of ACT and, and you basically, you lessen the struggle, you lessen the suffering and you just increase your ability to be with the anxiety, which essentially involves distress tolerance. You have to be able to, to tolerate it and know how to kind of work with it rather than struggle against it. Yes, yeah, so you said that the, the whole therapy starts with learning this understanding the anxiety and the difference between fearing anxiety and then musicians start probably experiencing not to be afraid of their own anxiety so do they take it well or is it difficult uh that's a very good question i think maybe certain musicians certain clients uh don't take as well to acceptance and commitment therapy and in my experience it's been older or more for lack of a better term more rigid or more unwilling clients uh, and, and if someone has anxiety in their 60s and 70s or maybe even older, then it may be too difficult for them to buy into this idea of accepting their anxiety. I think they would rather control anxiety. So taking a medication or doing CBT can help reduce their symptoms. But I don't know if this is true across the board, but if you're young, you might be more willing to give it a shot. You more, might be more willing to try acceptance out because it's kind of less stakes here. Okay. Actually, I really want to play this game right now. Uh, let's imagine I'm a new client to you. I'm a developing musician. I'm a violinist. And actually, I don't even have performance anxiety on stage. Oh. But actually, I'm anxious while I'm practicing. So what do you do with me? Well, let me ask you this. Are you a perfectionist? <clears throat> I am. Uh, in, in this scenario, I don't mean you personally. <laughs> I am. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, you had asked me to speak about perfectionism. I think... Uh, this is the perfect time to do that in addition to answering your question too. 
in my experience, I have not treated perfectionism outright. However, I think it's nearly impossible to find a musician with performance anxiety who's not also perfectionistic. You're, you're, you're smiling and nodding. Yes, um, I am. If you've read Diana Kenny's 2011 book, The Psychology of Music Performance Anxiety. Of course. That is the, the book, yes. That is the essential text here. She talks all the time about how perfectionism is a risk factor for developing performance anxiety. So usually if you find someone with MPA, you're also talking about a case of perfectionism and it, it correlates strongly with most clinical anxiety disorders, including social anxiety disorders. So I've prepared uh, two exercises that we can make use of if you're a musician who's also perfectionistic, who has performance anxiety. So the first one is, is just gonna be straightforward. Uh, I have a diffusion technique that I can teach you that you can start using instantly. Uh, but I'm happy to explain what diffusion means a little bit further if it's not yet clear. The second one involves pen and paper. So hopefully you have a piece of paper and a pen handy. So just to further explain what fusion and diffusion are, if you remember ACT aims to enhance psychological flexibility here, there are six ways to do that. And one way, one very important way is to promote diffusion. So I don't know if you can see what I'm doing with my hands here. Listener obviously at home cannot. So I'm fusing both of my hands together. And let's say in my right hand here, we have someone's behavior and my left hand, we have their thinking. When I'm fused, my behavior and my thinking are essentially fused together and they are one, they're inseparable. So if thinking remains rigid and unchanging year after year, behavior will also be rigid and unchanging year after year. It's like behavior is a slave to thinking. But when someone is defused, there's distance between behavior and thinking. They are kind of separate processes. Sometimes thinking informs and kind of controls behavior, but not all the time. Sometimes we can just tune out thinking and behave in a different way or behave in an opposite way than how we're thinking. We don't have to follow thinking like it's rules to be followed or commands to be obeyed all the time. We can just allow thinking to be separate essentially. So that's the difference between fusion and defusion. And a very simple technique to defuse is to label your thoughts as thoughts. So if you're a musician who has performance anxiety, let's say you have the common thought, I gave a terrible performance. Let's say you have that thought after you're, you're finished. So in order to promote defusion, you would say to yourself the following statement. I notice I'm having the thought that, and then you insert the content of the thought second. I notice I'm having the thought that I gave a terrible performance. And if you have a second thought afterwards, it might be, I'm a terrible performer, or maybe more generally, I'm a terrible person. You just keep on doing that. I notice I'm having the thought that I'm a terrible performer. I notice I'm having the thought that I'm a terrible person, et cetera. And what this very simple technique does, it promotes a distancing between you and your thinking. So that way you can remain flexible in the presence of your thinking. You don't have to uh, kind of follow your thinking as if it's literally true. So do you want to practice this? Do you have any thoughts that bother you as a anxious perfectionistic musician? Because I know the background, I know I have more issues with self-efficacy that maybe it can even work with that. With self-efficacy, did you say? Yes, I'm honest. I'm, I'm talking mostly about myself about 10 years ago, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Oh. And okay. I didn't believe I could learn something. So cool. when I was at the stage of performing it, I wasn't anxious because I was anxious before that so much. Who cared? You know, people watching, listening to me. I had struggles before that. But the, sure. the hard time was, to really work out and learn it in a way what I want it to be. And I just didn't believe in myself that I could learn it. And exactly, I was labeling myself that mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not a good musician. I can't learn this. I can't play this this well. 
Ah, right. And, and perhaps you were fusing with those thoughts. And, and there, there are two ways that you can tell if you're fused with thought. Uh, I'll just quickly explain that. Um, and I'll use more visuals here. And, and if you want, you can explain to the audience what I'm doing. So uh, I have my hand directly in front of my face here. When I'm fused with a thought, the thought appears right here, like right at the edge of my nose, so close to my mind's eye, so to speak. And because it's so blindingly close, I don't recognize it as a thought. I perceive it as reality, essentially. And that's the first part. So it's too close to you and you perceive it as real. The second part is it compels me to respond. I, I react, I should say more appropriately. I react automatically to it. I, I just feel compelled to, ah, no, get rid of it if it's negative. So it compels a reaction out of me. Whereas when I'm defused, so I have my hand about maybe a foot in front of my face right now, there's space between me and it. I recognize it, oh, this is a thought. Thoughts like language are symbolic. They refer to things, but they're not the same thing as the things they refer to. So if, if I'm having a thought that I'm not cut out to, to do this, that's different than the actuality of not being able to learn, the actuality of not being cut out to do something. This refers to that. So why respond to this as if it's that? So you wanna be able to remind yourself, okay, I noticed I'm having a thought that I cannot learn to, to perform in these ways, uh, whatever the thought was. I don't have self-efficacy, et cetera. And then you can remain flexible in the presence of those thoughts there. Okay, to repeat the sentence. Sure. I notice I'm having the thought that. So that's the base? That, that's one simple diffusion technique there. And then obviously you insert the content of your thoughts second. I notice I'm having the thought that uh, yeah. I don't have the self-efficacy to become a musician or can't yeah. learn this yet, et cetera, et cetera. And, and this is where uh, fusion specifically addresses the role of language more so than CBT, more so than other therapies. Make a long story short, uh, language is symbolic and language has many upsides, but there's also some downsides. One flaw in language is we sometimes take our private language use literally. We respond to these thoughts as if they were the same exact thing as the events or the objects that the thought refers to. For example, let's say I have a thought, I'm gonna get into a car accident today. If I'm fused with that thought, I'm going to believe it literally, and I'm going, to respond, I'm going to react with anxiety to that. I might avoid driving. I might avoid you know, other things too. But the phrase car accident is different than the event of car accident. So how many times a day do I have that thought? Would I be reacting 500 times a day, 100 times a day with anxiety to that? This is different than that. So we want to train ourselves to just notice this is a thought. This is not the same thing as a car accident here. I don't need to respond with anxiety to this thought, essentially. Okay. So as part of my therapy, this imagined yes. person I represent right now, I notice I'm having the thought that I'm not a good musician. Mm -hmm. um, so what's the next step? So what shall I do in order to get better with this? Sure, sure. So again, if you have perfectionism, uh, then perhaps the second exercise that we've been talking about would be helpful too. So imagine you have that thought right after you performed, I'm not a good musician. Let's say even you have harsher thoughts like, uh, I'm a terrible musician, I'm a terrible person, I give a terrible performance, etc. So this is where we had to stop with Dave, but we invite you to do an online game in which you can learn how ACT really works in practice. This little game that we will present in the second part of the interview is one of the typical exercises of ACT.
Personally, I found it extremely thought-provoking, and by doing the exercise, you may realize that your anxiety is not such a big deal that you would think it first. Come and join us in the next part of the series, and until then, remember always, then is better than perfect.